HVAC 360, episode number 59. Lessons learned. Coordination. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of HVAC 360. I am your host, Matt Nelson. This week, I'm going to uh, take a break from the interviewing we've got done with the uh, a lot of the expo shows, uh, expo interviews that we've done, and now I'm going to kind of get back a little bit into uh, sharing some of the nuggets that I've uh, accumulated over the years. What I'm going to talk about this uh, this week, um, I'm going to start uh, some lessons learned that I've kind of gathered over the years. Uh, This week, we're going to focus on uh, coordination. So it's a topic I covered as part of a a presentation I did for a local ASHRAE chapter. And I think it was was one of those things that in in coming uh, up with the idea for the presentation, I understand that not everybody has the opportunity to get out in the field and share in some of these uh, lessons learned. You know, a lot of people come up to me and they say, hey, you know what? What what exactly do you, uh, you know, what are the number one problems that you see as a commissioning authority? And, you know, even though that's not necessarily an easy answer to uh, to give, I, you know, I got to say that most most of the time uh, it's, it's a lot about coordination. And that's kind of why I wanted to cover this as the first lessons learned topic. So what... You know, let's let's start into you know why uh, things uh, why it is that coordination is so difficult. From my viewpoint, I think it can be lumped into one of the two two categories. First off, you know we have a poor communication skills. As engineers, I guess we're not necessarily renowned for the greatest communication skills, but I, you know, I go beyond this kind of this stereotypical uh, engineering jargon. You know, sometimes it's just the you know the matter of asking the right questions in the process. Do we get all the information? Uh, do we get it documented? You know, it, it goes back to uh, an owner's project requirements or or making sure that everything is is, is documented between you and the owner. Uh, between you and other engineers, between you and the architect, uh, kind of lumped in that same thing. You know, if, if, if you're producing a set of documents as part of an integrated design team, you know, that is, yeah, it's, it's a benefit to you. Um, and, but that's not necessarily a, you know, a benefit that everybody has. Some uh, engineers, some mechanical engineers, uh, they have they work hand in hand with maybe an electrical engineer who's in their office, and they might have a uh, a separate architect that it does not work in the same office. Sometimes it's just a mechanical, and they're uh, communicating with an electrical in another office. That's a kind of a huge hurdle to overcome when you're going through this coordination thing that you have for your uh, your project. Uh, you need to make sure that you need to spend extra time communicating back and forth between these certain disciplines because the habit of you know individuals, just people in general, is really to be lazy. Uh, you know, if if they don't have to reach out, they're they're just going to stay in their little silo and they're going to work on their project. They're not necessarily going to over communicate with people that uh, uh, you know they they're working with. 
Uh, a lot of times in-house, uh, you get uh, kind of a, uh, a rapport built uh, with the different people that you're working with, and you kind of assume and you kind of got, have gone through this process one or two times. So you kind of, kind of, kind of work around some of, the, uh, some of the difficulties that you may have in the past, or they may be able to kind of forecast exactly what things went wrong, and they might be able to kind of head it off at the, at the past there. On the flip side, you know, aside from having having these external communication issues uh, that affect your uh, your coordination, uh, there's a lot of internal processes that are also kind of uh, a little suspect. I know that depending on the size of your uh, your firm, a lot of engineers may or may not have quality assurance or quality QAQC quality assurance quality control in place. Now, QAQC uh, in general is, is something that's very critical because realistically, when you're, as, a, as an engineer, when you're going through the design, a lot of times you're a little bit you're, – you're too close to the design to be able to see some mistakes, some things that are painfully obvious to other people. And this is where I kind of take advantage of it as a, as a commissioning authority that I'm able to see some of these things that are, are not quite – coordinated fully. But if you don't have that internal third, you know, third set of eyes uh, looking at a particular set of drawings, uh, things might slip past. Typically, you're going to have in a engineering organization, you're going to have uh, whoever is going to be stamping the drawings uh, ultimately be responsible for the QAQC process. Uh, larger firms might have dedicated staff just for that purpose uh, that are aside from the engineer of record. Um, you know, that would be the individual stamping, stamping the, the drawings. So if you do have that in place, you know, fantastic. But a lot of times when you get down to these organizations that are, you know, less than 10 people, uh, it really becomes uh, some sort of a, a difficult thing if they, if they haven't made it uh, very explicit that they have this process in place. And that, that, that kind of goes not only for an for a end, uh, end of the project QAQC process. Uh, they might do it at you know, every level. It might be for design documents. It might be for the SDs. It might be for the, uh, the CDs. They might do it multiple times and not necessarily at the end of a project. But you might need a process in place to say, okay, you know what? You know, first I'm gonna you know lay out a basis of the the basis of design, and that was actually that was one of the things that I, I kind of snuck in there. I'm like, you know, if you're gonna have a basis of design, why not make it your SD set? You know, get a really good basis of design. So in your, for your SD drawings, don't do don't necessarily draw drawings. If you're gonna do drawings, just do you know certain focused areas like mechanical rooms or or something that's 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 important that you you get coordinated right off the bat. But if you have a good basis of design, that could substitute for your SD. And and again, this is kind of uh, one way to think about your process. So if you have a good process in place, it helps a lot, especially when you come to crunch time. And this is ultimately where it, where it plays, uh, plays out. When you're doing coordination between different, different uh, disciplines, uh, that's the crunch time is when you know, people start forgetting. It's just, it's just things that I've seen that are like, you know, I know the engineers and I know in talking with them, 
they just shake their heads and they just, you know, they're, I, I ran out of time. You know, you, you have to be able to plan better and make sure that you have, you know, whether it be a missing schedule or a missing detail that, you know, clearly should be on the drawings to help out the, the contractor be able to, to price it better. Uh, or, you know, whether or not it had a set of control drawings in, in, in the set. It's something that, that you need to have in place uh, just to have, uh, you know, a, a good way of thinking about, you know, a basis design for the SD. For the DDs, we're going to draw X, Y, and Z, and we're going to have all that, you know, laid out. I'm going to have, you know, uh, I'm going to have the schedules there. They might not necessarily be all filled out, but I'm going to have, you know, a model number and serial number for, you know, or their model number and uh, manufacturer for all the different uh, all the different schedules that you you can uh, put on a drawing, or I have all the details done. So that's one way you can develop the process, and you know, again, have the finishing steps for the for the CDs, and 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 kind of integrate how you're going to do quality assurance and quality control checks on your set of documents before they go out the the door. I mean, that's that that's going to be the best for you. So, I mean. Barring that, that's that's really where I see I, – I, I don't see a lot of that. I don't see a lot of that in the smaller firms. I don't see a lot of that uh, from different organizations that I talk to. Uh, a lot of times you, you do get crunched for time, and when that happens – some people opt not to do the quality control that they they know they ought to. So that's exact. That's kind of where it comes down uh, to me uh, as a, a commissioning authority, and that's where I see it. But aside from why it happens, let's let's kind of. I want to dive deeper into a little bit about some of the lessons learned. Again, I want to communicate some of the lessons learned that I've gotten from coordination, and, and what are some things that you can possibly do to enhance or improve your coordination uh, when it comes to a drawing set. Um, I guess, you know, first off, I want to talk about uh, the difference uh, or the uh, coordination between the engineer and the architect. You know, I think there's, there's three basic things that, that really pop out at me as far as things that I've seen uh, commonplace on, on multiple drawings. Uh, first is the coordination of of the uh, the smoke walls and the firewalls. I mean, this is something that should be you know that really affects people, especially when you get down into the a situation where you've already bid the documents and you have a smoke wall that all of a sudden shows up on a drawing because the architect you know that was some of the things the last things they did uh, you know to put together the set of documents and the mechanical didn't pick it up. To and you know put that on there. Well, it affects the electrical as well. I mean, that's one of the things. It just keeps snowballing. That you know, not only does you know you have to put an electric power connection. Now you have to get it integrated into the fire alarm system, and it just keeps you know snowballing from there. So you want to make sure, as a mechanical engineer, you want to make sure that you talk to the architect and you have a drawing that's clearly labeled where all the smoke walls are. You want to make it painfully clear that this is something that you absolutely need. You need to know where the smoke walls are. You need to know where the firewalls are. And obviously, you know, it's going to change around the world. It's going to change a little bit based on where your local codes are. But, I mean, obviously, these are kind of, you know, basic things that you need to be looking after. Uh, you know whether it be you know uh, you know locating these and locating above ceilings. You need access panels. Now you've got the general contractor involved. Other trades. 
So it really becomes one of these things that, that can snowball. Um, one of the things, too, uh, and this is more of a, a, a U.S., again, internationally, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I, I don't know exactly what some of the problems are. But in the U.S., there's a, a, a situation that occurs when you have an exit stairway and you, it doesn't exit directly to the outside. So what you create is an exit passageway. Well, there's special rules and considerations that happen to these exit passageways. Well, a lot of times what happens, and this happens on jobs where there's multiple additions on a building. So a hospital is a great example of where this tends to happen. All of a sudden, you put an addition onto a hospital. So an exit stairway that used to exit to the outside now can't and has to kind of go through the building a little ways through this exit passageway and get outside. Well, if you don't coordinate that with the architect and the architect doesn't tell you, there's a whole host of things, uh, a lot of costs that, that, that actually you know, gets uh, added on to the project because basically this is a, a no-go zone for just about everything. You know, it has to be you know, completely self-contained. It has to have its own you know, HVAC. It has to have you – know, everything has to be routed around – you know, a lot of times if you catch it kind of after the fact, but before the bids go out, sometimes you can put a hard lid on the corridor so nothing's communicating exactly with the corridor and you just put a, a fire rating uh, over, the, over, the, over the floor. You know, there again, if you, if you have an exit passageway, sometimes it affects the structure. So you have to do different fireproofing to the structure. And, and you know, again, it just, it just compounds when you don't have that that smooth coordination, that smooth, smooth commu- communication, rather, between yourself and the architect. Another thing that, that happens is the coordination of exterior louvers. Now, uh, again, louvers are one of the things that, as an engineer, you probably know everything about. You know the velocity, you know, you know it needs to be drained, etc., etc. But it tends to be one of those things where the architect ends up being the one that either specifies it or they have it installed and it's part of the, uh, uh, the uh, general contractor's uh, uh, schedule of work. They're, it's in their scope of work. They're going to have to install it. Well, what happens when you know there's a, uh, a louver that needs to be put on the exterior of a building and the general contractor doesn't? All of a sudden, there's not a hole where you need there to, where you need there to be a hole and again, it just compounds. It's, it's one of those easy things that, especially, you know, when you look at a architectural elevation, uh, look at art, architectural elevation drawings, just take a look uh, and make that coordination. I, take a, I, I often take a look at them and, and, you know, especially like some of the smaller ones. Typically, they're going to have the large ones. If they don't, that's going to be a huge problem. But a lot of times, they'll miss any sort of little louvers that are required from exhaust fans or other, you know, exo- uh, other inline exhaust fans that you might have uh, around the place. So get those coordinated. Get those detailed right. Uh, you need to make sure that, uh, and you need to figure out exactly, you know, how you're going to be uh, connecting to those louvers and get that uh, as part of the detail. 
you know, a lot of times there might be a discrimination between whether it's going to be a four-inch louver or a six-inch deep louver, and, and sometimes that makes a big difference when you're when you're uh, figuring in, you know, if there's a, you know, any sort of uh, water infiltration into your space. So you need to take a look at those things and coordinate that with the uh, the architect. All right. Enough of the architect engineer coordination. Now let's get into uh, kind of the the uh, engineering slash owner coordination. Now this I've seen a number of times pop up, but realistically, you know, if you have owner furnished equipment, uh, also if you have kitchen equipment, I'll kind of throw that in the same vein. You want to make sure that you have that scheduled separately. Know exactly what the connections are, what kind of, you know, cold water connections, hot water connections, if there's any special exhaust requirements, who's putting that in. Uh, you know, I mean, talk about kitchen. You know, there, there again, something the, you know, who's going to specify the hood? Is that in the uh, kitchen supplier's uh, bill of goods? Is that in their scope of services? Or is that something that the, uh, the contractor, the uh, uh, mechanical contractor is going to provide? Or are they just connecting it? And if they're connecting it, you know, who's putting it up? I mean, it's it's simple things like this that really have to be thought through and coordinated, and it just takes an extra phone call to make sure that it gets on the drawing right, so everybody's clear about what they're supposed to do. Again, it's it's all about clear clarity with this coordination. So, from kitchen hoods, making sure that who who specifies it, uh, from getting the connections on you know different pieces of equipment, and again, have them labeled, have everything you know tagged, and and have it coordinated between the schedule and the drawing so everybody knows exactly where these pieces of equipment are. Same thing I've seen between the mechanical and the electrical. I mean, this is, this is a really a, a great coordination uh, tool for the electrical engineer. Just to have, you know, instead of having it buried in panel boards, uh, panel board schedules, have a dedicated HVAC uh, list, having a, a schedule just for HVAC. So it takes all the HVAC equipment with their tags, tells you what kind of uh, what kind of electrical connections there are, whether or not you're providing the motor starters, the disconnects, uh, any sort of you know, motor control centers, any sort of specialty items that you would uh, for the mechanical contractor. I mean that way it's it's easy that you know when you have your coordination at the end of a, end, end of a project or in the middle of the project. Uh, when you're trying to get the drawings together, that the mechanical can sit down and say, "Okay, yep, I see it. It's all on the list. You didn't miss anything." And it's you can you can both reference that same list and make sure that yep, they got everything. One last thing, I guess, with the uh, the coordination, some of the lessons learned that I've 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 seen in the field is the smoke control sequence. I mean, this is something that, you know, it involves, you know, everything from the architect, if there's smoke barriers, uh, if there's, you know, there's there's uh, smoke partitions, uh, smoke barriers, smoke walls. Uh, if you're trying to kind of, you know, have a protective environment in a place, you need to be able to coordinate that and coordinate that with the operation of your HVAC equipment same goes true with the electrical. How is that going to interface with the smoke control, the fire alarm sequence? 
and to have that, uh, you know, do you have an atrium? Uh, is there atrium part of a project? Uh, again, a lot of this just needs to be kind of gone through with a, a fine-tooth comb. And just make sure that you understand each one of the different components uh, in sequence and that you answer all the questions. Again, don't, don't assume that something's going to be covered. You know, whenever I look at a set of drawings and I, I see a lot of kind of just, uh, you know, you know, cover your butt kind of notes that, uh, you know, it's, you know, contractor to, to, to furnish complete system. You know, this is, that's, that's pretty much garbage. You know, if, you're, if you want something on a drawing, you make sure that you better detail it. You know, there's some things that, you know, you don't have to count, you know, s- specify the number of joints or the number of, you know, uh, widgets are on a project. But, I mean, if there's significant items, you better make sure that uh, you know exactly where everything's going to go because you need to make it clear for the contractor. Again, it's about being clear. It's about being fair. It's not fair for the contractor to do any engineering for you. It's not fair for your uh, manufacturer's rep to uh, to kind of guess how many uh, of a particular you know of smoke fire combination fire smoke dampers they're on a project you know you just can't you know uh, delegate that task of counting them and making sure they're in the right spots uh, just by saying you know uh, contractor to furnish where appropriate you know that's that's kind of a, a, a real bad cop out you need to be able to engineer and specify that so. Based on that, one one of the things that that I kind of threw in here that kind of really is one of my pet peeves is tagging, and I I, I don't know if I've kind of gone over and, and done this rant before, but uh, you know it's worth doing again if, if it's worth doing a thousand times. That specific pieces of equipment need their own unique tags, and I've gotten to this battle royale a couple of times with uh, a couple of the uh, engineers. And this is something that I just I can't back down from, um, just from a standpoint of say, for instance, and, and the, you know, things like yeah, all the unit heaters. Uh, if they have electrical connections, anything that has an electrical connection involves another discipline. Make sure you have a unique tag for it, um, because they're going to have to have a unique tag for it. Somebody will, and that's the issue. Somebody's going to have to make up a unique tag. Why don't you take the initiative and do that for everybody? You know, make some, you know, think of something that makes sense. It's your equipment. You're putting it on the drawings. You come up with a naming scheme that makes sense for, you know, for everybody. Um, a lot of times you have VAV boxes. This is very common. A lot of times you have VAV boxes, and they'll be scheduled by size. Well, that doesn't do a, a lot of good. When you're looking at a drawing and you have 100 VAV boxes, all of a sudden one of them stops working. Now it's, it's going to be, uh, if, when I put it on an issues log and try to identify something that needs to be corrected, it's going to be, well, it's going to be VAV box, you know, size A, it's outside of room 206, uh, and it's uh, across the hall and a little, uh, you know, down north a little bit. You know, you, you try to give these, you know, uh, reference guides using words and it ju- it just doesn't work. You need to be able to say VAV box 1-02, you know, doesn't doesn't operate, is not functioning properly. Now you have everybody knows, okay, it's 1-02. Okay, that's right here. I see it on the drawings. Because if you do these referential kind of identifiers to 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 pieces of equipment, 
it gets so complicated. Uh, you have, I, I, and I've seen it a number of times, when you start referencing, okay, well, it's going to be, uh, say, a VRF unit that serves, you know, room 268. Well, guess what? Room 268 was chosen by the architect when the official, you know, uh, sign maker comes on site and decides, okay, exactly what the rooms are going to be called. All of a sudden, 268 is now 278. And now you have to have this coordination, this cross-referencing uh, schedule of what room was what and what does it change to and what is it now. And if some of them are the same and some of them are different, that makes things worse. Please, please give unique identifiers to your equipment. In the one case that I went through, it ended up like this. He didn't want to back down, changing the size uh, you know, changing his schedule. Uh, he didn't want to have to go through and and uh, and do that. Well, I, I said at least give them unique identifiers, and you can keep that, you know, that 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 size moniker. But at least give them a unique identifier. Go through the drawings and just label them on the drawings. They don't have to tie back to a schedule. Just label them on the drawings. But you know, I mean, even even that's kind of you know not quite right because. You know, is is one VAV box size A going to be the same, you know, the minimum setting? Is that going to be the same minimum setting as another VAV box A? I, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, if, if you sized it like that, okay, perfect. You know, but if you have a, little, a lot of different types of rooms that have special uh, minimum airflow requirements, eh, maybe you should think about just, you know, biting the bullet and going to a, a full schedule with, with each individual VAV box labeled. You know, it's, it's going to be a better for everybody. It's going to be better for the temperature controls contract. It's going to be better for the uh, uh, mechanical contract. It's going to be better by the equipment rep who actually has to go through and, and create a submittal based on on what you've what you've done. You know, it really it it really is a, a you know a big issue with with coordination. Uh, another thing that uh, you know you'll you'll find is that if you are going on a project and you have multiple different uh, additions to a project, guess what? Take a moment, figure out what the numbering system is, and leave off where the last project stopped. Okay? You know, I mean, I've, I've been to a number of projects where, you know, you've, you've gone in and, okay, I see air handling unit one there. I look over and air handling unit one in that room and air handling unit number one. I mean, everybody starts with one. So there's air handling one three times, on, and, when, and especially when you're trying to fix it, you're like, well, I went to air handler one. Well, which one was that? You know, and it's, it's really difficult when you're trying to, uh, you know, figure out exactly, you know, well, it was on, on the west side of the roof. Oh, no, the east side of the roof. Uh, what are you talking about? So try to integrate uh, your numbering system with the existing equipment. You know, if, if you have a new, new building, obviously it doesn't apply to you. But if you have an existing building where you're making an addition, leave the, you know, take the numbering system off where the last one stopped. You know, talk to, the, talk to uh, whoever is in charge of maintenance and figure out if they've actually come up with a, a different uh, numbering system that they've changed in the building automation system. You know, maybe, maybe they've, they've, they like some uh, numbering scheme that makes sense to them. 
just adopt that. Make it make it easy on everybody. You know, it makes it, it makes the owner happier. It's like he can look at the drawings and say, "Okay, I understand this because this is the way you know the way I number them now." So that's my equipment tagging uh, coordination uh, rant. Yeah, one day, once again, I think. So anyway, I uh, just wanted to give you a, a couple of lessons learned that I learned out in the field. Hopefully, uh, you got some benefit out of that. If you did, uh, share it with a friend. I really appreciate you and each one of you taking the time to listen to this uh, my podcast. Uh, you want to, you know you are the top three percent of your profession. Learning every day makes you stronger, makes you better. Learn and and just share what you know, and that's what I'm I'm trying to do here. Uh, I would like to uh, like to uh, give a shout out to JD who actually left some uh, great feedback for me on iTunes. I really appreciate that. Thank you, JD. And for any of anybody else, go ahead and uh, leave me some comments. I'd, I'd love it. iTunes is a is a great place to do that. Uh, give me a rating. Give me a little note. Uh, give me a little review. I would certainly appreciate it. If you like this episode, pass it on. If you like these type of episodes, also let me know. You can email me at matt at buildingx.co. Uh, you know, lessons learned. Again, I think it's a great topic, and I might try to uh, you know uh, get some more together for you to intermix uh, between some of the interviews that I'm, I'm, I'm going to do. So, again, you want to get a hold of me, uh, matt at buildingx.co. On Twitter at Building X, and if you want to link, if you want to uh, uh, just kind of uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, go ahead, Matt Nelson, PE, <clears throat> on LinkedIn. Excuse me. So until next time, thanks all for listening, and remember, know what you build, and share what you know. <laughs>